Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with David Edwards about taking the gamesmanship out of leadership and replacing it with authenticity and transparency. David Edwards, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited to have a nice conversation with you today. You're joining us from Spokane, Washington area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Today, we're going to be talking about taking the gamesmanship out of management and leadership and replacing it with authenticity and transparency. Now, this is actually a a huge pet peeve of mine, the gamesmanship, the politicking, um, all of that that happens in organizations. And it's inevitable. I mean, it's human nature. It's how organizations function. So we're never going to get completely rid of it. But man, so much time and energy is wasted um, in organizations around those things that are just not necessary. So let's find a way to mitigate that as much as possible. Let's get rid of it as much as possible, and then focus on things that actually matter. So these are the types of things we're going to be exploring in the conversation today. As we get started, I wanted to share David's bio with everybody. David Edwards worked in healthcare for 35 years. He took what he learned as CFO, COO, and CEO and built on as he researched how to correct what is wrong with the healthcare system in America. His epiphany, consistent with his career, enduring principles, and the latest in behavioral science led to the 10 principles of individual motivation. On these principles applicable to all domains of life, individuals build lives of accomplishment, connection, and balance. Employers who offer the gift of these foundations help grow employees that are engaged, connected, and motivated. And I think that's fantastic. We can certainly talk about those 10 principles as we go throughout the conversation. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in further? I think we should just dive in. I mean, just a normal guy who's been in a bunch (laughs) of different roles, but mostly in healthcare, I guess. I had to say anything, it would be that I spent the first six years of my working career at what's called a community health center. Um, And so these are nonprofit organizations that are very mission focused. And it was one of those things where you've heard the phrase fish are the last to discover water. And I, I worked at it. I I thought it was interesting. I enjoyed it. um, But I really didn't appreciate what I had. (laughs) And after six years, we tripled in size. We, um, I went from being an accounting clerk to 
a business manager to the first finance director as the organization grew. Um, <laughs> and But I was working 60, 70 hours a week in the Seattle area where we lived. I lived north of town and work was south of town. There was no such thing as telecommuting in those days. Modems were, you know, this big. Um, and so, and cost thousands of dollars. But uh, um, I finally went to my boss and I said, you know, this is great. I love working here. I love doing this, but I'm I'm never home. <laughs> we were working some Saturdays and and I said, this isn't consistent with my values. And I don't think I can sustain this. I don't know my daughter who, you know, was a year old. And uh, and we couldn't find a way to manage it. And I didn't want to move down that area. Uh, or my wife and I didn't. And so I had left. Um, and I went to work for a place that nothing wrong with it. It was the cable company. And I left the $10 million organization that was mission focused and growing rapidly to work for a $500 million division of a multi-billion dollar company that was also growing rapidly, but was very focused on making money. That was the mantra. That's really what we were about. And what I found was after, you know, six, eight months there, um, I was very unhappy. I worked hard because it's just who I am. But um, it was inconsistent with my own personal values, just like working so many hours and never being around my family was inconsistent. But I never really had made this connection. And so, you know, as often happens in life, we learn through kind of these experiences. For me, what my organization does and how they go about doing it is as important as making a paycheck. For me, at least, that became very, very important. And so then I spent the rest of my career working in different aspects of mostly then health-focused efforts, elder care, cardiology, so cardiovascular care primary care. And then the last 10 years, probably, I've really loved being a part of this, I want to call it a movement, if you will, of whole person care. This idea that, John, when you were born, and when I was born, and all of our listeners, right, it's shocking to think about it. But the head, the mouth, the shoulders, the cardiovascular system, the endocrine, all of these things we're all connected. And you cannot influence the one without influencing the other, which I love this. It's kind of like this natural metaphor, right? Everything we do in one area influences the other areas. And so this idea that we're all one and that the health system should be designed, in fact, around you as a whole person, not you as a mouth or a mind or or shoulders, or your prostate, or as that gets more important to me as I get older, <laughs> um, um, we're all whole people. And so this work and kind of reading on this, and trying to design business around this way that reality actually is, has been gratifying and a real learning journey for me. Well, thank you for that background. Uh, super interesting. You've certainly lived a rich life and, and had a wonderful career doing a lot of really great things. I've had similar experiences. I'm, I'm younger, so I haven't had you know all of the, the life experience that you've had, um, but I've been in organizations where I felt like it was very mission-driven. I've been in other organizations that were, you know, there's nothing wrong with profit, but being solely profit-driven, 
And yeah, I struggled and that's, that's part of who I am. And I recognize other people wouldn't have that same struggle, but for me that it just didn't resonate. I didn't find myself at home there. And lo and behold, I didn't last very long uh, in this one particular organization that I'm thinking of. Um, and, and ironically, it was a media company <laughs> as well. And that's fine, right? P- you know, we need people in all walks, all styles, uh, people who like different things. Uh, but recognizing that early on was important for me so that I could yeah. get into something that resonated more where I could feel the passion, where I could get up every morning excited to go to work rather than dreading it. Um, all of those things, you know, have played out as an important aspect for me. Yeah, that's great. And I think most people have those kinds of experiences. And if we don't, you know, we might want to work on our awareness, right? Because if you have no qualms about anything that's going on, and everything's kind of okay, well, not everything is okay. And I'm not talking about ruminating on stuff and, you know, getting overwhelmed by all the garbage that goes on at work, or around us outside of work. But Um, you know, there is a place, I think, for all of us to be a little bit thoughtful, a little bit mindful. And as a habit, you know, that develops our prefrontal cortex, increases our awareness. And frankly, in that process, it may seem like it holds you back. It's kind of like values when, well, values, you know, they hold us back. And that's exactly right. They do. But we do that for a reason, right? So it's like being on the freeway. So on that stretch of freeway, I've driven a few times, not a lot, but a, a couple of times for various reasons. And, and I'm pretty sure there are dividers between the lanes of the freeway. And then even within, you know, all the traffic going this way, you know, there's like four or five lanes wide. And we have little... Um, lines, yellow lines going between those lanes, and we put little strips in there, and we have police who say, you know, you're going too fast, and we volunteered to do all these things. Why? Because they are limitations, right? They, They do hold us back in a way, but also because they help us to go forward, right? The idea that somebody's going to veer across the freeway going 70, I think is the speed limit through there. And then I'm going 70 and we're doing like this and to have no barrier in between us is a little bit creepy. And it should be because it's very, very dangerous. We've proven that we can actually drive faster, more confidently, more consistently and more safely if we have those barriers, right? So that's kind of like what values do for us. They provide barriers within which we have volunteered to conduct our lives. And they're really fundamentally important because without them, it is, you know, anarchy. It's, it's a hodgepodge. It's a mess. It's just a flat out mess. And it feels really good for a while if you're winning, but then somebody else without values comes in and sideswipes you and it doesn't feel so good all of a sudden. So these, you know, these values and this kind of sense of awareness are really important. And if we're thinking about organizations, I like to think of organizations as collections of people. I don't think that there's anything magical or mystical or special. I mean, the courts may have given corporations, you know, some extra benefits, but beyond that, you know, individuals, there are, if you will, laws, there are principles by which our lives are conducted. When we ignore those enduring principles, we do so to our own expense, at our own cost. 
and at the cost of those around us. It's the same in companies as a collection of individuals who have banded together for some common purpose. And it may be as a media company, um, it may be as a consultancy, it may be as a healthcare organization, or you may make widgets or tires or, you know, whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter, right? A company is simply a collection of individuals who have volunteered to come together to accomplish some goal. And each of us within that goal has a different role, right? So I may be, um, I was a CEO at the last organization and we had a finance person and then they had finance people under her who, you know, performed various roles. We had receptionists and we had doctors and nurses and therapists and community health workers and all these various roles. But what we all had in common was that we are human beings and that we had agreed at some point that these purposes that the organization stood for, its mission, its vision, and its values were something that resonated with us as individuals. And I think as we look at this idea of reducing gamesmanship, and I, and I in that I think um, introducing and nurturing individual leadership that these are the foundations that the best run, if you will, holistic thinking organizations are built. And so it's not the trivial, you know, um, I was in a healthcare organization. It was a nonprofit, charitable organization. And on the backs of their business cards, they had written their mission statement and their core values, which was great. But it took me about an hour to realize <laughs> that this was for the sake of marketing, not what they were living, right? So there was a disconnect. There was a disjoint between what they espoused on paper and what they were actually living. So I'm going to suggest that at these organizations, the amount of monkey business <laughs> is inevitable. Because people don't have a solid foundation on which to build. If your mission, vision, and values aren't solid, aren't lived, aren't real, aren't talked about, aren't encouraged, in fact, held accountable for, um, and if you don't recruit for those things, and if it's not a big deal, right, and from the very beginning, through all the various processes of the organization, through eventual termination, since we'll all be terminated at some day, either voluntarily or not. But um, if we don't have all of those processes lined up consistent with those principles that we've espoused, we're in big trouble from the very beginning. Does that make sense, John? And Yeah, I always, absolutely. I, I feel a little bit, I have to tell you, I'll say it out loud, I feel a little bit self-conscious because you have a PhD <laughs> and I don't, you know, there, there's nothing magical about uh, a PhD. So uh, I appreciate your, your wisdom, your insight lit through tons of lived experience, uh, which is incredibly valuable. Check out my new book, the future leader creating and transforming next-gen organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, the future leader 
will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. So much of what you just said resonated so well with me. Um, you mentioned values as, did you say limitations maybe? Um, guidelines. Which, guidelines, yeah, yeah. And I think of, I think of um, values as scaffolding. Um, it's, 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 it's just a different metaphor for the same idea really, but I, I think of it as scaffolding. So when I have those kind that structure, those guidelines in place, it actually allows me to do more, uh, safely, um, more efficiently, more effectively. Um, and it's just like scaffolding when you're, when you're doing work on a building, um, or, you know, I think about scaffolding as I'm leading my people that I want to create an environment of safety, um, where, where they have the structures, the mechanisms in place to help them to be successful without me micromanaging them all the time. That's about me building scaffolding. I see values as a big part of that scaffolding, but whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in our work life or how we lead a team, we need to have those values, be clear right about them, communicate them effectively, create the guidelines, create the scaffolding, the expectations, the norms, all those things so that people can then function in a you know, in a way that's at least somewhat predictable, where they know that if they um, do certain things, that they can, you know, reasonably uh, have a reasonable assurance that it's going to work in a particular way um, that helps to motivate people. And so all of that, I think, really resonates with me. And towards the tail end of, of that last comment, you talked about the gamesmanship piece. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about that. The gamesmanship that happens in organizations, um, sometimes we term it as organizational politics. Uh, and, and there's healthy competition, there's healthy gamesmanship, there's healthy politics. And it, it's inevitable, it happens in all organizations, it happens in any human relationship. Um, but it can be very unhealthy and it can be taken to extremes where it really undermines the values and the, mis the mission and the purpose of the organization. Uh, so what are some of your thoughts around how we can mitigate unhealthy gamesmanship or politicking within organizations so we can spend more time focusing on what actually matters, um, you know, providing, you know, innovating, creating and providing value to the market? Again, I think those foundations that we mentioned is a starting place. So real lived mission, vision, and values. 
And then again, and then alignment of systems and processes. And so if you're human, especially in like human resources, policies and procedures, um, and this happens much more frequently at larger organizations, right? Because larger organizations tend to rule much more by command and control. Do this, you know, and then you're a good employee. Versus here's why we exist. And this is our expectations of how we will treat each other, like our values, how we will treat our customers, whether they are customers or patients or clients or whatever word we use, right? But those who come to us to get some help from us for whatever it is their needs are, right? And so whatever the word is, if we're aligned with them, the gamesmanship is going to be much less. But the first time that you have an employee who then starts to take some risks, right? And they say, I did this because it's consistent with our values and our purpose, but it wasn't consistent with policy. (laughs) Um, And then they either get in trouble or they don't, right? Because they'll either succeed in doing that when they take a risk or they might fail, right? And so then I think organizations, I mean, this has been around, this is not new, right? So if we say we succeeded, yay, what did we learn from that, right? Or we failed. And instead of saying you failed, you're bad. We say you failed. What can we learn from that, right? So that kind of uh, interaction between human beings pursuing common purposes is going to reduce gamesmanship, because as soon as the policy and the process and the procedure supersedes mission, vision, and values, people don't know what to do, right? They're going to be perplexed because what is guiding me now? Well, today it was this and yesterday it was that. Tomorrow, I don't know which it'll be, maybe this. And so I think these are foundations to reducing gamesmanship. So then how you set up policies and procedures. So I was a CFO chief financial officer for 20 years, probably in different organizations. (laughs) And I found something that I just found beautiful. We called it integrated strategic and financial planning. So this is an idea. And I don't know if you see more companies than I do probably, but back 15 years ago, when I was first exposed to this, many organizations developed the budget and then they did strategic planning. And what I've come to realize is that, no, that's, as my dear departed father used to say, that is bass backwards, <laughs> because the budget is simply, A, the primary policy document of the board, and B, the funding of the strategic plan. If it's not, what is it, right? You've got the budget fighting the strategic plan. And, you know, that is a recipe for confusion, monkey business, gamesmanship, and frankly, lack of performance. Um, And so we line up these processes and we do them quickly, right? So no more year-long strategic planning, developing the five-year plan kind of stuff. Five-year plan is fine. But a five-year plan or a three-year plan needs to be revisited like every six months, probably. But that becomes a very focused top-down, if you will, or bottom-up is what I prefer, 
process where we check in. We are, and we can go back to that principle of awareness. We say, what are we aware of? Where are things going? I'm not a fan of copying what other people do. I think that's a recipe for followership in our markets, but we have to understand what other people are doing as a piece of that puzzle that we say, then how are we leading in whatever our field or area is so that we're kind of hopefully, you know, a step ahead or people are then trying to follow us, which is a great place to be. And they will. And as soon as you rest on your laurels for six months, somebody else will then have surpassed you because that's the pace of technology today. I'm getting into 57 different areas here. I'm sorry, but so. That's great. Great. <laughs> I was, uh, I was a chief financial officer, a new chief financial officer at a healthcare organization. We had, I was the third CFO in two years. <laughs> so they'd had some challenges. Um, me, the CEO, and another uh, senior vice president role in operations were a super good fit. And it took us about a year to kind of get in a solid fitting. We reconnected with our mission, our vision, our values. We reconnected with our people. And if I had any single thought that I hope most people would take away, it would be that people are not assets. Yeah. Assets are things I own. I guarantee you that nobody's going to let you put people on your balance sheet. <laughs> right? And yet, even though you don't own people, but we treat them like we do, big problem, red flag, people are not assets. People are the sole source of ongoing value added. At this organization, we had catheterization labs. Back in the 90s, we had the most advanced catheterization labs in the world. Literally, people from all over the planet would come, fly into little old Spokane, and look at how we'd set up our cath labs and our processes around them. They were digital. Imagine that, right? Instead of saving them on like film, like an old movie, um, it was saved on a big digital disc, like this big, literally this big. And But it was the most advanced thing on the planet. We were one of a few in the world that had these. This gave us a technological edge. And we had a little bit of hubris about this, right? And, and we remember Jim Collins' work, you know, How the Mighty Fall. <laughs> hubris, this is the very first step towards, you know, demise. And so we were pretty proud of it. But after, you know, we became financially stable, we became innovative, you know, we were growing. Um, and I had this kind of wow moment where I realized after about two or three years, because you know what, they had new cath labs that were way better <laughs> than ours now. And I realized that unless I wanted to spend a million and a half dollars per cath lab on a new lab every other year, Technology was not going to be the way that I was going to distinguish our organization. And as I became the chief operating officer, I realized that really people are the source of our value. How we hire, engage, support, nurture. I like a natural metaphor because I think that mechanical industrial metaphor that's all around us that we don't even think about. But it says people are assets and 
you know, we'll use them how we will and we'll lay them off in order to make more money or blah, blah, blah. Any of those kinds of dysfunctional kind of that mechanical model is not going to serve us well, especially in this day of age where transparency is so much more prevalent, right? And so we line up our, our mission, vision, values. We see people as our source of value-adding, and then we treat them as such. We invest in them. We nurture them. We engage with them. We give them that, you know, we look at the sources of motivation in a company. I think Daniel Pink did a great job describing, you know, money, mastery, purpose and autonomy right but in my work i want us to take it a step further if i was going to take us to the next level i would advise i would offer i hope that anybody listening would offer the gift of a foundation in personal motivation this isn't company motivation it isn't looking at your people really as assets but even as just value-added partners um, as human beings whom, if you help them develop personal or intrinsic motivation, are going to be have more meaning in their lives. They're going to have more focus in their life. They are going to be capable of meaningfully engaging with from their own values to the organization's values, which they are living their own and you're living yours. And you start to see these foundations of human beings coming together. We are optimizing, I hate maximizing because that's such a kind of a profit-driven kind of word, but we optimize human development as we then optimize the way the organization is set up to take advantage of that individual personal human development and we grow our organization in this way more like an orchard than a machine. So we nurture, we provide sunshine, we provide nutrients. Um, we recognize that not all trees are the same. And we adapt based upon that. We look at compensation structures. And again, they have to be a little more flexible. We just, you know, we start thinking of our organizations in this fundamentally different way that's contrary to the milieu that fish in the water kind of idea that we've evolved through you know these last 300 plus years and start to say that is inconsistent with the way human beings actually are it's inconsistent with reality let's get back in touch with reality and i think it will do great things for our companies for our people for our communities and for society as a whole i love that david so much there. So beautiful. Well said. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and share these insights with me and my listeners. I know at the time and I'm going to have to let you go, but before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. So I, um, I have a website. It's an author website. It's simply my name. So www davidredwards.com um, and I'm on LinkedIn I'm on Facebook so David R. Edwards um, and my book is right now it's on Amazon in ebook and paperback um, it's called New You Who Knew and it's about creating this alignment at an individual personal level where we uncover our personal motivation and 
it's quite different. Some of the themes will sound similar, but I haven't found anything that pulls them all together, all 10 of these enduring principles. Whoever you are, your life matters. Whatever your circumstances, right? Circumstances will change. They swirl around us. But whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, your life matters. I think that's fundamentally important. And from that foundation, we can only build and grow. I love it. Thank you, David. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what David can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, 
and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.